We're going to be beginning a book, a series in the book of Galatians. We're going to hear it read in a moment. But just to kind of prepare us for it, let me ask you a question first of all. When you hear the word freedom, what image pops into your mind? Now, if you're a movie-going, movie lover, you might be thinking Mel Gibson painted blue, uh, screaming out, freedom, you know, in that kind of faux Scottish accent he put on. Um, if you're a little more politically minded, the image in your mind might be you know, Nelson Mandela when he, you know, 1990, after nearly a quarter of a century in prison, he walked with the support of all these others around him, walked free. Uh, if you're a fit and healthy person, and I'm willing to um, separate myself from that group at this point, it might be the, the wide beach of emptiness, so you just run and run without interruption. Uh, or if you're a, a tired parent, that same beach, you may not want to run, you just want to kind of sit down and enjoy the solitude of peace and not have little people ask you questions all the time. You know, what's freedom? What's the image in your mind? Perhaps it's just simply having the BlackBerry permanently switched off. Maybe that's the image of freedom. What image captures freedom for you? So for the next six weeks, as we're going to be looking at Paul's letter to the churches of Galatia, I want this image instilled in our minds, um, a goldfish bowl. Now, freedom is that goldfish. And I'm not going to tell you why just yet. I'm going to let it resonate. I'm going to let you think. I'm going to let you ponder. Why is it that that goldfish is so free? Why is freedom all about that goldfish? Let me instead tell you a little about the, the letter. Uh, Galatia is in southern Turkey, uh, what, our modern Turkey. Uh, Paul's first big missionary trip, one of them was uh, in that area. We have it recorded in Acts 13 and 14. And, and he preached there through Roman Galatia. Uh, places like Pisidian Antioch and Iconium and Lystra you can read about in Acts 13 and 14. Uh, the reaction he got when he preached through those areas uh, first time, for some uh, religious leaders they were so unimpressed with his message that he had to flee uh, on threat of death by stoning. Uh, But others, remarkably, responded, believed, found freedom in Jesus. Churches were established in these various cities. Uh, And Paul writes this letter that we're about to read the start of, uh, possibly his first letter, uh, certainly his first letter, possibly the first New Testament document, uh, because these Christians who he's planted are in trouble. Okay, as he puts the situation in Galatians 2.4, as we'll eventually get up to, some false brothers have infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus and make us slaves. Okay, so that's why Paul is writing, because this is a rearguard action to defend freedom. You know, false teachers are in there and saying things, we'll see something of what they're saying as weeks go on, but, you know, you've got to obey the law to be saved or, or you have to, you know, put on some cultural things, be a bit more Jewish if you're going to be in God's kingdom uh, or unless you keep the rules, you're not going to stay in God's kingdom. They're twisting things and adding things. Christian freedom is under attack. Uh, and then, just like today, if you try and add things, if you try and add any form of your effort or laws to what Christ has done, what you're actually doing is exchanging freedom for a new form of slavery. It's with those kind of issues in mind, you know, and that unresolved, you know, freedom goldfish, uh, they want us to turn and hear God's word read. First of all, we're going to read from Isaiah. Uh, Elle's going to come up and do that. And then Virginia's going to read from Galatians 1. So turn to there as we explore freedom. Hello. Uh, the first reading is Isaiah 45, 18 and 19, and it's on page 517. Whoa. 
For this is what the Lord says, He who created the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord and there is no other. I have not spoken in secret from somewhere in the land of darkness. I have not said to Jacob's descendants, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. This is the word of the Lord. The reading from Galatians is on page 823 of the Pew Bibles. Paul, an apostle, sent not by men, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers with me, to the churches in Galatia. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our, fa- of our God and Father, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? If I was still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing you is no lie. Later, I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. 
This is the word of God. Uh, it is indeed the word of God. How about I pray before we look more deeply at it? Uh, Lord and Father, we thank you for the goodness of your word. Uh, we thank you that you made all things, you founded the heavens, you made the earth. And that after forming us, you haven't kept yourself secret, but rather have spoken. And that you speak truth and declare what's right. Father, help us to know that this morning. By your spirit, write the truth in our hearts and minds that we would be pleasing in your sight, we pray. Amen. Um, looking at Galatians 1, as you can see, even with uh, Virginia's soft, dulcet tones, um, it's a narky letter, isn't it? You know, you, you could imagine this is kind of Paul's angry letter. Uh, it's, it's the only letter where he starts out and skips his usual thanks for them. So normally Paul introduces himself and uh, you know, wishes a greeting upon them and gives thanks for something about what he's heard of them or seen in them and, and then gets into the kind of the content of the letter. This time, no, skips that. He goes straight into carving them up. He's appalled at them. Uh, he threatens hell, he, uh, eternal condemnation in verse 8 and 9, and anathema on them, a curse be on those kind of people. Uh, you know, there's this kind of sense of, of defensiveness in verse 20. Oh, I assure you that, you know, what I'm writing is not a lie. It sounds intolerant. It sounds a little fearful when you read it, first of all. You know, what's gotten in you know, Paul's bonnet? Why is he so worked up? I want to say it is an angry letter, but angry for good reasons. Freedom is at stake. And freedom, whatever the image was that leapt into your mind, first of all, freedom matters, doesn't it? Uh, There are three important things I want us to pick up from Galatians 1 this morning. Uh, One, uh, the good news of Jesus is real freedom. Uh, Secondly, there is no other good news. Uh, And thirdly, the good news is God's, not man-made. Let's first of all see how the good news of Jesus is real freedom. So Paul opens up the letter, uh, not just with pleasant greetings, but he gives this really careful summary of the good news, the gospel. Uh, and verse 3 and 4 give this kind of pithy explanation of the, of the essentials of the gospel that he's going to explain in more detail as the letter goes on. So verse 3, uh, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be all glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul, what he's doing, he's talking about the freedom of the gospel, he's talking about the essentials, the essential ingredients, the who and the what and the why of the gospel. And so the who in verse 3, it's peace from God. Um, Paul describes God in a a kind of clever way. He he links the Father and the Son. He doesn't explicitly go out of his way to say Jesus is God, uh, but what he does do is he uses the term God to cover both the Father and the Son. That is, who is this good news from? Who is it about? It's from God. What is it? Well, God has gone and given himself, the Father's will, the Son's sacrifice. And why? Well, it's purposeful, isn't it? It's for our sins. You know, for for your self-interest, for my turning good things into substitute gods, for our evil actions and godless thoughts, that's what it's for. God has given himself for our sins. Um, either you know, our sins there are the cause, why he had to die, or alternatively, it's for our sins to wash them away. Both are true. The ultimate effect is freedom. You know, it's a rescue mission. Free his people from the evil age. That's what I want to say the goldfish is all about. Okay? Freedom 
is not doing whatever you want. True freedom is doing what you're made for. Okay, a goldfish might be in the confines of a bowl, but it would be an error to think that the bowl is actually limiting its freedom. The bowl's not slavery. What's the bowl doing? The bowl is guarding its freedom. So without the bowl, the water is just going to spill onto the ground. The fish is going to die. You know, there, there might be a goldfish out there. I don't know goldfish particularly well. I had gone this week with the kids. We were going to buy a goldfish so I could kind of put it in the bowl, but they're really expensive to get a tank, so I didn't. That's why we have PowerPoint slides instead. Um, if you have a spare goldfish, bring him along and, and we'll examine him over the weeks to come. But I don't know many goldfish well, but should a goldfish want to leap out of the bowl to explore freedom, you kind of go, yes, it might for a moment experience some things that are genuinely novel and new, but we all know it'll die really quickly. That's not freedom. Freedom is doing what it's made for. It's not doing anything you want. Now, that, that's the lie Satan told to Adam and Eve to get them to, to you know, metaphorically leap from the fishbowl into death. You know, freedom, I'll do what you want. No, no, no. Freedom is doing what you're made for. And we are made for loving God and others. Freedom is found only when we stay in Christ. Uh, as the uh, Anglican prayer book so helpfully puts it, that, that serving Christ is actually perfect freedom. You know, the gospel is freedom from what? From this present evil age. Christ's sacrifice means, yes, one day we will be in a place where there is no more evil. But even now, as we live in an evil age, we're not subject to the patterns of the world anymore. You know, those, those patterns of the world that might be novel and new and us kind of exploring and expressing ourselves, but ultimately enslave us to death. You know, that's why Jesus prayed for us. He prayed for you and I in John 17, uh, verse 15. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. See, we live in an evil age, an age of lies and malice and anger and rage and immorality and greed. Um, as someone wrote, we may not see their chains with the naked eye and they themselves may boast of their freedom, but for all that they're thoroughly slaves. Whether men like to hear it or not, the gambler, the drunkard, the greedy, the passionate, the glutton, the addict, they're not free, they're slaves. They are tied hand and foot by the devil. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. He that boasts of freedom while he's enslaved by lusts and passions, he's going to hell with a lie in his right hand. You know, we live in an evil, enslaved age. Uh, Wendy Shallot wrote a book, The Good Girl Revolution, a couple of years ago. Uh, she picked up one aspect of our evil age this way. Young women feel oppressed by the expectation that they will engage in casual sex, just as their mothers once felt oppressed by the expectation that they would be virgins until marriage. And picking that note up in uh, yesterday's paper, Miranda Devine wrote a column and said, um, even in suburban Sydney, there are parents of teenage schoolgirls encouraging them into sexual relationships. Because the worst thing these days is not that your daughter might turn out to be a slut, but that she might be a virgin at 23. This is how the world has turned upside down. Now this is the present evil age. And the gospel is freedom from that. You know, not, not freedom just in abstract goldfish bowl kind of terms, but real freedom of lives changed. Uh, a friend shared how he'd intentionally employed a secretary uh, who was a Christian. Um, downside was she wasn't a very good secretary uh, but what they did work together for a number of years and uh, 
One day he got a real insight into both the power of the gospel and her life. They were walking down a street, they went past someone, uh, a drunk uh, on the corner, on the street corner, um, and she shared, that's actually a guy I went to school with. And went on to say, you know, praise God for saving me because that would have been me. You know, that's real freedom. This isn't just about concepts out there, but lives changed, freed from this present evil age. Now, because Christ gave himself, we no longer have to suffer the judgment and we don't have to join in with this evil age. As Galatians goes on, um, we'll get to see how God enables that more by the power of his Holy Spirit and there are great chapters coming up, so stay tuned, read ahead, all those things. Now, the gospel is freedom. And, and I labour it this morning because I think understanding the gospel is freedom is actually a radical shift in our thinking that most of us fall back and think the opposite. Um, as Luther said, works is the default of the human heart. You know, we go back to thinking we have to keep doing stuff and, and we instinctively think that, that rules, even God's rules, are about limiting freedom rather than creating freedom. You know, I've seen people walk away from Christianity making that exact error. You know, they've said to me that line of, I need to be true to myself as they go and explore a way of life that God encourages them actually not to. What they're failing to realise is that being truly themselves is actually living the way God designed rather than embracing the evil age. And even more, I see it in, in sheepish Christians. You know how um, we're really quite comfortable to share with people the bit how Jesus died to, to pay for the sins, because that sounds really nice and positive, but I see Christians getting sheepish about the fact that, oh, we've got to talk about how your life needs to change, because that sounds kind of negative and limiting. It's not negative and limiting. It's actually freedom. We need to be excited, not just about, yes, Jesus paid for your sins in the past, <clears throat> but excited to say, and you can now live free from the evil age, living God's way, to be excited about that. So I want to ask you, do, do you see the opportunities to serve Christ and other people as a limit or as an expression of your freedom? You know, do you see those instructions God gives for how your lifestyle should be as a guard for your freedom or just a denial of it? I recently read in George Whitfield's diaries how um, he would spend an hour a day doing charitable works. So uh, for him, he'd go and he'd um, visit the poor, he'd help out at food kitchens, he would visit prisoners, he'd read to the illiterate. An hour a day. He didn't come up with all the reasons. You kind of go, oh, it was a couple of centuries ago. He didn't have all the modern comforts that make life easy. Oh. You know, I wonder if I suggested the same, that some of us would hear... Oh, another burden, another limit. Oh, this is hard work. Or whether we've grasped the freedom that Christ died so that we don't have to be part of the evil age and instead you hear, hey, there's a unique challenge of what a free life might look like because we are free from this present evil age. The good news of Jesus is freedom. And that is exactly why Paul writes a narky, angry letter. <laughs> That's the second point. There is no other good news. And, and tragically, the Galatians don't get it. Verse 6, I'm astonished you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ. And you are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion. They're trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we've already said, so now I say again, if anyone's preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. 
and to our modern 21st century kind of postmodern happy cuddly ears we think how intolerant is he but no no Paul says nowhere else is there freedom and it's astonishing they're so quick to leave it he calls them deserters in verse 6 that's the the language literally there is turncoats he's calling them you are the people who've just betrayed your army to go and fight for the enemy But worse than that, it's not just concept language, it's personal. Um, You've deserted not just an an idea or a system of thinking, you have personally rejected the one who called you. You've rejected God, who loved you. You He talks about how these false teachers have snuck in and they've distorted and they've perverted the truth. And it's those people, those deceiving liars that he damns. He calls that eternal damnation upon. Because they aren't just nice people with a slightly different message. In the light of the gospel of freedom, when we actually understand what's at stake, you realise anyone who teaches something other than the true gospel is actually a trafficker in the human soul. They are a slave trader on eternal proportions. That's why he's angry. William Shepard was the, was the first or one of the first African-American missionaries uh, from the US Presbyterian Church. Uh, in 1890, he went over to... Uh, what was Belgian Congo. Uh, he documented there the atrocities by, uh, committed by Leopold's private army, the force publique, uh, how they had acted to increase the rubber output. So what they would do is they would whip and beat labourers. Uh, women were raped. Villages were burned. Um, one Belgian authority wrote, to gather rubber in the district, we must cut off hands, noses and ears. Shepherd documented all of this that was going on. So in one village, he uh, uh, personally kind of counted and accumulated 300 skulls and 81 cut-off hands uh, that had been prepared as a meal. And he, uh, he, he kind of put all this together and his report launched what was really the first international rights campaign. Uh, so King Leopold, um, in response to this massive legal persecution of Shepherd, and thankfully, uh, as the world watched on, Shepherd triumphed, and there was an end to uh, Leopold's personal enslavement of Congo. Why do I tell you this story? Because <laughs> you, you and I need to see Paul's impassioned pleas in writing here, just like the work of William Shepherd. You know, this is intolerance of the best kind that Paul is on about. Right intolerance. We live in Sydney today intolerant of injustice and intolerant of slavery and intolerant of oppression and that's great, praise God that we do. And yet if we speak in absolute terms about spiritual matters, that there's a gospel that's freedom and there's other messages that will enslave people, then that sounds and people say that's just being bigoted and narrow-minded. No, 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 that's fighting for freedom. It's right for us to speak against the modern slave trade. Um, UNICEF estimates 1.2 million children worldwide will be trafficked for sex. And we should be angry at that sort of thing. And we should be just as angry when distortions of the message of Jesus are spread that traffic souls away from salvation, away from freedom, and enslave them. Now, I'm not saying that um, we should go and, you know, take legal action and stop Islam being taught in schools. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that we, we should start prosecuting bishops in our denomination who don't believe Jesus bodily rose from the dead. I'm not saying that. But I am saying we need to stand up for the truth. Souls are at stake. To fight for theology 
our knowledge of God is actually to be a freedom fighter. And so we've actually got to be willing to go far enough to ask uncomfortable questions of our unbelieving friends about how they expect to be eternally free. But we also need to ask our friends who wear the label of being Christian where they actually stand in the truth and and what they believe and what they're teaching. And you need to be willing, and hopefully in a really nice and gracious way, uh, to ask questions of those of us here who are spiritual teachers. Uh, You need to question whether I'm teaching the truth or whether Paul is teaching the truth, or anyone else who stands in this pulpit is teaching the truth. For if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, including me, let him be eternally condemned. Because freedom matters. Now, of course, that fight for freedom needs to be qualified. And that's the third point. The good news is God's, not man-made, not manufactured. So Paul's at pains to make clear why this can't be messed with. It's not his message, it's God's. So verse 1, he introduced himself as an apostle. He's a sent ambassador, sent not from men nor, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Yeah, in verse 10, after, after raging against their abandonment, uh, he speaks of how he's not trying to win favours with people, in case you couldn't work that out from already what he's written, you know, hey, people be eternally condemned and, yeah, I'm not trying to please people. Well, I think we've picked that up, Paul. Yeah. Verse 11, he explains how he's actually accountable to Christ and, and he gives this lengthy defence, the second half of that chapter, to his own authentic ministry, which is straight from Jesus. That is, he didn't have to go to other people. How, how he used to persecute Christians... Um, And he excelled as a Jewish zealot. But then in verse 15, God, who'd set him apart from birth, called him uh, to preach the gospel amongst the Gentiles instead. Now, he didn't need to go and check in with others. He's not a messenger with human authority. The good news he preached is God's. You notice in verse 24 that that was clearly recognised by others. They praised God because of me. They didn't praise Paul, they praised God. So the good news is actually God produced, not manufactured. And this is both why we have to fight for it, because it's not any message we can tinker with, but also it controls what we fight for. Because the gospel is God's, we, we actually have to make sure we're only fighting the bits that are tr- for the bits that are true. Now, there have been terrible errors made in the name of defending the truth. Uh, the current persecution of uh, homosexuals in Malawi has been claimed by some to be on the grounds of the gospel. And yet there's no consistent law against adultery or anything like that in the same... You know, it's just completely inconsistent. It's not a defence of the truth. It's a manufactured objection. Yeah, but, but because the gospel is God's, we're not free to pick and choose the bits we like and want to defend because that'll be people-pleasing. We have to defend all the truth. You know, in studying the Bible, I, I get the opportunity to read lots of commentaries... Now, good commentaries are great, fantastic aid in helping understand. You know, it's kind of like a conversation with a really smart person. Uh, but some, some commentaries just miss the point. Rather than helping understand what the Bible say, they're, they're standing over the Bible and judging it. Um, I've read those commentaries that openly say, oh, Paul got it wrong here. Oh, this clearly is not what God is like, so therefore it must mean this. Well, no, it clearly says it. You know, if the gospel is God's, we don't choose the bits we like. And we've got to keep questioning why we hold to the bits that we do. How are we really sticking to God's truth? You know, I have the privilege of meeting with uh, a few of the blokes from here, Thursday lunchtimes in the city. 
Uh, we recently looked at an article together on divine retribution, uh, how for, for over 1,900 years, Orthodox Christian held a, a particular line on, uh, on the lessons to be learnt from disasters. And it left us with a challenge about, in the last 100 years, that's not really said. Uh, the challenge was, I suppose, our silence on the topic. Is it because we're more accurately defending the truth or is it simply we've become people pleasers? The gospel is God's. And as you speak the gospel to others, is it because you are people-pleasing or knowing you're accountable to Christ? Now, you need to know the truth deeply if you're going to do it well. If you're not going to avoid fighting for wrong causes, if you're going to, going to helpfully question me and Paul, you need to know the gospel with depth. And, and I've got to say with all honesty, one sermon a week is not going to do it. <laughs> you know, and unless you plan to know the word better, don't expect that the Spirit is going to grow you. Maybe that book recommendation, What is the Gospel by Gilbert, maybe that's what you need to pick up today and start. You need to know it deeply if you're going to fight properly for people to be genuinely free. See, the good news of Jesus is freedom and there is nowhere else where it can be found. Later on, we're going to share in the Lord's Supper. You know, that symbol of freedom that Christ sacrificed himself for, for us to enjoy. And so I want to leave you with this question. Have you got this freedom? Are you fighting for it? Because if not, in the words of J.C. Ryle, seek Christ, repent, believe and be free. Christ can take burdens off your heart, remove the chains off your inward man. If the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Freedom like this is the secret of true happiness. No one goes through this world with such ease and contentment as those who are citizens of the heavenly city. Earth's burdens press lightly on their shoulders. Earth's disappointments do not crush them down as they do others. Earth's duties and anxieties don't drink up their spirit. In their darkest hours, they have always this to fall back on. I have something which makes me independent of this world. I am spiritually free. Let's praise God for that freedom now. Our Lord and Father, we thank you for the freedom that you won at the price of your own son's death. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, we don't have to be subject to this present evil age, but rather we can live free as you've made us. And Father, we pray that you would fill us with uh, a real concern for the state of others and the state of the truth, that we would not allow lies to enslave others, but rather we would be passionate to fight for the truth that others might enjoy freedom. We ask this for your son's glory. Amen.